Welcome everyone to SaaScast, the podcast that talks you through the steps you need to future-proof your product. Whether that's building the ultimate marketing team or taking your products global, our guests will help you grow, scale up, and work smarter. Hi, Alan. Thanks so much for joining us on SaaScast today. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me on, Anthony. Uh, it's great. I'm sure um, our, our listeners, we've had a lot of requests on this particular subject, so I'm sure they're really, really going to benefit from this conversation. Um, just to start us off, before we get into the meat of this discussion, um, I'm sure our listeners would just love to hear a little bit more about your background in SaaS in particular, your journey to your current position, and what about it? What about your current role? What is it about that that sort of, um, I guess, fills you with passion and drive? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a I'm not a SaaS person in my DNA, right? It's funny going back in the annals of time. I, I started my career as a banker. You know, I, I started my career actually in Barclays, but moved into FreeServe, which at the time, again, you may not have heard of them, but they were yeah. poster boy for the dot com era, right? So yeah, uh, this is after this is kind of ninety ninety eight, I think, where you know they were the leading. ISP. So an ISP was what you needed to um to go on to uh, get onto the internet. So yeah. my journey is kind of, you know, finished my career in banking, joined FreeServe on secondment because Barclays did a joint venture with FreeServe, and then I kind of decided after that that I could see the attraction of software and SaaS, mm-hmm. um, and I've been you know working in that area ever since. Yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't something that you planned out. It was just something that that I guess the I suppose different industries have kind of been swept up in the SaaS revolution, haven't they? If you want, for lack of a better term, so a lot of people from different disciplines have ended up in this sphere. That's exactly it, right? So, like, I did a primary degree of economics and marketing, right? There was no concept. I mean, computer science existed as a subject, but it was programming right it certainly wasn't the world that we occupy now another example in my family my brother was a biochemist and he sort of has been working in enterprise SaaS for 20 years so back then I don't think anybody knew where it was going but we all know with the devices and the internet speed that we have recognized the power of it as a kind of category yeah absolutely yeah I think it's it's something that's undeniable now and I think one of the great things about it is um is just the the sheer breadth of from our perspective as a kind of SaaS, um, I guess thought knowledge, uh, thought leadership hub, um, is just the sheer diversity of expertise that we that we have for that reason. You know, we have people who are very much more on the kind of people side, uh, the customer success side, um, and we have people who are very very technically minded, people with a science background, people with a finance background, like you. Um, and it really does create some very uh, interesting, I think, when you have people like this together, you can um, come up with all kinds of great solutions to different problems. You're nailing it, right? It really is, right? So from a career point of view, you mm-hmm. know, it throws up, you know, a huge amount of opportunity and you can be heavy in the tech and be a computer scientist or a developer or a coder. You can be commercially focused, be it in, in, in sales, you can be in operations, you can be in marketing. So. And then, of course, you've got the different industry verticals, which I know we're going to talk on in a little while. So, of course, you can you kind of got the broad layer of functions, but you've also got the richness of sort of the domain that you can then apply that uh, um, skill set in. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, so let's get into the subject then. We're talking specifically about um, the emergence of vertical SaaS. Uh, this has been something we've been talking about for a while. It's something that popped up in our Future of SaaS report quite a bit. Um, I want to know from your perspective, like, why is it? Why is this an emerging thing? And what is it about the current uh, SaaS or, or tech climate that is making this um, something that we have to talk about? Why is this a key part of the? Com- why should it be a key part of the conversation right now? Rather, yeah. So I guess there's a maturity happening. So I go back to when you had ISPs, mm-hmm. you know, um, in '98. When I started selling software, right, you had to sell it. I sold it into retail stores, right? The internet was 56K dial-up. You just didn't have a you know, fast enough computer to run SaaS, right? So that And that's not that long ago, right? We're talking 20 years. Yeah. And then of course, the first tranche of applications that come out are going to have to be kind of broad and mass market, Anthony, right? Because you're going yeah. to want to keep for as wide an audience as you can possibly Mm-hmm. You, you know your hands on so if you look at things like wordpress which i'll come on to in a minute which is a content management system mm-hmm. of course you're going to cater for for all and sundry and if same if you're doing a a crm or accounting software you're going to cover you know the widest base possible and then you have that kind of circle going on and on and on whereby the venture capital community were obviously looking at things like total addressable market and mm-hmm. you know they were looking at you to try and craft a journey to the biggest market you possibly could i guess roll on 20 years though right and all of a sudden you know you're looking at a very crowded marketplace when you start looking across the categories so mm-hmm. you know with generalist um, applications they're extremely competitive right so then when you kind of enter like like we do with contento which is um which is the startup that i work with um, you know you're late to the party you're entering a market that there's an incumbent in our case wordpress which is their 20 odd years and we're coming in with a content management system right so a content management system is what you use to manage websites mm-hmm. and i can see you know it's a very noisy category but you know all the main players are very very broad they're horizontal yeah whereas you know for a market entrant beginning to come in now you can see a couple of things you can see that if you decide to go vertical there are lots of opportunities of course mm-hmm. we have to wait a few years to see how it all plays out but you know, vertical probably couldn't have worked 15 or 20 years ago because you needed to make the market as big as possible. But as we have more and more people using SaaS on a daily basis and bigger numbers of users, you now can craft a kind of very viable strategy by being vertical. And just to kind of define it for you before we go to the the next question, Anthony, I guess, you know, for me, vertical is picking an industry or a niche Mm -hmm. that you're kind of deliberately concentrating your efforts on you're limiting your market and you're saying we're not going to be horizontal we're not going to be broad and but i mean you know we're not serving every kind of industry or every user type we're going to take a real narrow approach and you know by doing so that is essentially the essence of vertical SaaS, where you're building with primarily one specific use case in mind yeah how um how common is this now? Uh, is, is this more? Is it still more common for people to take a horizontal route, or is, is it is it sort of evening out? It's a it's a really good question, right? So you know, as a CEO and kind of founder of a startup, right, your kind of choice is, you know, can I come into a category or an area with it with a completely new offering? And of course, that is is a more risky strategy. Now, mm-hmm. risk isn't negative, right? It means there's greater upside, but also greater kind of downside. So you know, that, that's one route, but in most other instances, 
you're coming into a category that's probably pretty crowded, right? So then your kind of strategy is, you know, how do you compete, right? And this, mm. you know, you can go back to Michael Porter in the 1980s, who was writing about how you can compete in competitive markets. But essentially, you you, you got to pick a strategy, right? And you you can kind of, you know, Porter would have talked about being differentiated or focusing on a niche or being a price leader. Um, I guess vertical SaaS is taking a very kind of niche focus on it. And, you know, I think there's more and more vertical SaaS players coming on the market, but, you know, there's still a lot of people who are just going out with horizontal offerings. And if they do go out with a horizontal offering, they're probably working hard on their positioning then because that becomes a key point. You've got to be clear what you stand for. You've got to be able to signal to buyers how you're differentiated, how you can stand out from the crowd. So you can go horizontal, in which case you need a really strong piece of positioning, or you could go vertical and then sort of try and nail a niche. Yeah, so I suppose even even in the horizontal option, there's that there has to be differentiation there. But I guess that the the vertical is is I guess maybe more of a shorthand way. I mean, I don't know if it, it necessarily makes it easier, but it, maybe it makes it easier to focus in on what actually makes you different, right? Well, that, well, that's it, and I think the difficulty yeah. right is if you're a startup and you're winning business in different geographies and different buyer personas and different industry sectors you know you don't have patterns emerging that make it easy so it's very difficult to kind of like horizontal markets are kind of brutal they're the norm but but they're pretty tough which is why you know a lot of you know um vc money needs to go into b2b SaaS because you need to probably educate different markets you know cost of acquisition mm. is high across when it's spread so the, the theory with vertical SaaS, of course is you're much more narrow, and therefore, in theory, you're, you're you really know your customer group intently, you know, really, really well, and therefore, ideally, you're catering for your their needs better than the horizontal offerings. Um, I'm looking to my screen on, on, on the right hand side here, Anthony, and I'm looking at Chart Mogul, which is a well-known sort of subscription analytics product, and they've recently launched a you know a, a new CRM, and I can see the headline here: the first CRM tailor-made for b2b SaaS companies mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. their messaging is very much saying look there's lots of crms on the market you know it's very crowded but we're going to build one specifically for the needs of b2b SaaS." and that's a similar thing that we've done with contento which is the startup that i founded you know content management systems are it's a very very crowded space so wordpress is obviously the, the best well kind of most well-known um, content management system, but there are lots of others. But we see an opportunity where we thought, you know, WordPress is 20 years old. And again, you know, for us, the vertical niche was B2B SaaS because the three of us as co-founders all came from that world. Mm -hmm. We could see the problems with WordPress in that world. And therefore we've crafted a, a you know, a, a solution that's kind of coming from the pains that we saw emerging from that world and i guess that's a key point anthony is that if you're doing vertical SaaS, you kind of have to come from that world or you got to know the world that you're targeting you can't really easily just decide to um you know pick a, an, an abstract obscure industry sector you know nothing about you kind of need to to make sure the focus is on one that at least you've got relationships in that you've experienced in and that you can probably access customers easier than than other sectors it's interesting, isn't it? Because I feel like, you know, with with kind of one of the things that SaaS has led to is like this kind of 
I guess, like democratization of, of, of sort of software development in a way. I feel like it's not, you know, lots of people are able to start up their own, their own startup businesses now, their own software solutions. But I suppose with with vertical SaaS, like you're saying, it if if they if that becomes more prominent, it kind of weeds out that in a way, doesn't it? The competition because it mean you have to be somebody who's actually able to offer something that's really going to solve problems and and it comes and uh, from an area of expertise that you really are very well versed in. You know, it's not just somebody. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, I, th I think look, that's a key point, and like ultimately. Yeah. Software has to give value, right? And and yeah. in some ways, what you're looking to do is solve people's problems. Yeah. And you know, the, the first kind of big thing is that a lot of the early stage SaaS applications were probably things that were done in Word or done in Excel, and people had templates and they used Word and Excel, and they decided, look, we, you know, this is better done through software applications. But you're right, for vertical SaaS to kind of really take off. You know, you you do need to know to know the world that you're in. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't guarantee success because this is the thing with SaaS, right? It takes five, 10, 15 years to really play out. Mm -hmm. But the theory is that conversion rates should be a lot higher. You are deliberately constraining your market, right? There's no doubt about that. Mm -hmm. But in theory, you know that means you can be laser focused with, with with your messaging. It means you know who your customers are in terms of personas and ideal customer profiles. Um, you probably know how to, to market to them. Whereas if you're horizontal, one of the challenges, particularly in Europe, where there's more resource constraints than let's say in the US, is you know, if you've got a hodgepodge of early customers coming in and they're in different geographies and in different industries, you're lacking the evidence or patterns to kind of give you confidence to say, right, this is the bucket that we can focus on as the kind of core dominant use case. Because if you can get that, then you can, of course, message accordingly to it. Yeah, that's interesting. So it's like, it's not just about being vertical in the sense of like honing in on what is your industry or what is your job title. It's also being mindful of the demographic and the the um, the geography, like you said, geographical location of the of the person that you're appealing to, because I mean the the tech industry is completely, completely different in Europe, I'd imagine, than it is in the US. You know, it, well, I mean, yeah, like you're kind of getting into the worlds of personas and ideal customer profiles, right? Which is you know, and and the better defined you can you can have those, you know, the the better you can market to them, right? And there's no doubt that there's different behaviors in the different geographies, right? So the US is the dominant kind of um, SaaS market in the world, UK is probably second. It's always very strong, yeah. right? Um, and then there's a huge kind of um, split then into others. You might have Germany, you might have Canada, you might have South Africa, Australia, and so on. But, you, you know, I, I guess the key point here is, is that what you're trying to do is craft a strategy in a competitive world that says there's no point as coming to the party late with mm -hmm. a Me Too kind of application. Because if you do that, um, you know, the strategies are a little bit more nuanced, right? So to give you one example, the CRM world that I mentioned earlier, there's like Asana and Basecamp and Teamwork and Reich, you know, and, and Trello to name but a few. It's a very crowded space, but we had, we've had a new entrant in there in the last five or 10 years, Monday.com, and yeah. sort of they rebranded and, and basically came in with a big war chest, which was essentially trying to buy eyeballs. And then you look at Chart Mogul, which I referred to earlier. They've decided we're going to enter the CRM market. They're not scared. They see that the category exists. They see that it's growing. 
But they've come in with a strategy that says, actually, we're the first CRM tailor-made for B2B SaaS companies. So they're doing the vertical SaaS play, whereas Monday.com are doing the horizontal, but they're coming in with a war chest to buy eyeballs um, and win customers that way. I'm being a bit simplistic. Can you, can you, can you unpack? I didn't quite understand what you meant by that. A war chest to, to what? Sorry. Yeah. So, so what you will do is with these some of these VC-backed companies, they're less worried about profitability, right? They're more interested in customer acquisition. So what you end yeah. up seeing them is, um, you, you know, spending heavily on advertising and outspending everybody else, right? So oh, for example, I see. I see. Yeah, I see. Yeah. You know, I would have seen adverts in London Underground for Monday.com, and I'm scratching my head thinking. They're behaving like a consumer brand and, and they're, they're doing all these ads, which aren't cheap in London Underground. Of course not. Rather no. than, you know, most other companies would be in B2B SaaS in a CRM world might be focused on organic and inbound and Google yeah. ads. And so, 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 you know, the, the teamworks of this world, who, who I know well, would be, you know, a phenomenal product, but they're not going to be advertising on the underground because, you know, they're they're looking to grow um, in a manner that's kind of aligned with with kind of profitability, probably. Whereas yeah. others come in and and um, and then you see it manifesting itself in cost of acquisition increasing in the likes of Google Ads. Because if you've sort of an unlimited budget, you yeah. can buy up all the traffic in the world and bid up the the, the cost right for your competitors. So yeah. Um, so th- so that's the kind of nuance there. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that actually. That- Monday.com it has been so ubiquitous, hasn't it? I've realized now that I've seen it constantly all the time. We don't use it, but yeah, it's in everywhere. Yeah, you're totally, totally right. I imagine some people as well, like um, you know, very often they go in with a horizontal uh sort of idea to be or view to be horizontal and they end up pivoting once they realize that they're attracting a certain customer type or yeah, so, so that, that's a that's a really that's a really good point. Now what you normally see, Anthony, is the other way around, right? You you could start vertical mm-hmm. and maybe over time as your product matures and you add in extra features, you might do different flavors or you might mm-hmm. start broadening slightly. It's a little bit trickier to go from horizontal to, to vertical. But what you can do, which I think is what you're alluding to, is you can kind of start you know, creating distinct buckets or persona groups or industry groups, however you want to describe it, so that you are, again, looking for pattern recognition where you're seeing, you know, even though we're horizontal, you know, are there dominant use cases emerging, which then mean that you can see a dominant industry sector, which would mean then that, you know, you're probably more in tune with the needs of that group. But I guess this is going back to the key key point, right? With vertical SaaS, you can put in features that you probably wouldn't put in in horizontal SaaS. Yeah. So again, if I go back to let's say WordPress, you know, WordPress is a content management system. Um, you know how it's dealt with this issue that you've just alluded to, Anthony, is it's got a very rich plugin ecosystem. So mm. depending on the category, you can use plugins to get the product to a place where it's best suited for your context. Whereas we at Contento are taking a slightly different view. We're making an assumption that we're building for those that are looking to power B2B SaaS and technology websites, which mm-hmm. means we can shape the feature set, um, you know, by making, having an opinion, you know, by making assumptions that WordPress could never do. So there is quite a nuance here. Um, but, you know, what you're kind of describing, I guess, gets into the world again of personas is another way to deal with it and, and sort of, 
you know, may, you may then bucket a homepage where you've got the different categories of users and different case studies and different content that kind of reflects those different buckets. Yeah, that's so interesting. One of the things that um, interests me as well, especially with something like um, WordPress, which has been around forever, is like when a brand name becomes synonymous um, with a particular kind of software solution, you know, I think which is very much the case with WordPress, something like WordPress. Yeah. Um, it really fascinates me, that kind of conflict where you might have new solutions um, emerging on the market that maybe do things that that technology doesn't. However, due to simple like longevity and also, um, I guess, just brand name being so well known, um, the companies maybe can get away with that for a while. That's a really great point. That's yeah. a really great point. So you could say the same about MailChimp or HubSpot. Yeah, yeah. Um, but WordPress is, is an exact case in point, right? So, so you know, we offer a competing, competitor offering, right? So, so our take on it is actually, if you talk about content management systems or CMSs, you know, WordPress is the only one the average person's probably heard of, right? Yeah, but yeah. You know, there are companies like Squarespace or Wix or Webflow or even the category that we're in, which is headless CMS, which is a kind of a, is a subset, and. Mm. You're right. The, the the general public has no awareness of these um, these brand names. But the flip side is that you have what are called early adopters, which are often technology people that are beginning to be curious about new emerging technologies. And yeah, our thesis is that you know if you're a B two B SaaS or tech company, you should not be using WordPress. And even though there's a rich ecosystem of supporters, because of course there's 20 years of developers working with it we can make some very strong arguments to say look it's no longer fit for purpose but but here's the key point right it's no longer fit for purpose for the verticals or the niches that we are focused on yeah so again you, you know we're focused on b2b SaaS and tech companies and our argument is you know wordpress is fine for yeah. you know a personal blog or you know on a you know your local pub needs a website that's that's all fine and you know go for it Whereas if you are looking for, you know, a, a growth engine or a company that can, a website that can scale, it's not fit for purpose. But you're right, you're, you're battling against the brand awareness. But I think, you know, the, the more curious or the more technically savvy are realizing that mm. actually there's this whole new range of different solutions in the market that better meet the needs. Um, mm. Because 20 years after WordPress is in play, there's no doubt it's 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 got problems, right? And and sort of um, they're they're well documented and well known. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I know people who can't stand it. Yeah, people <laughs> who use it but nevertheless use it. Yeah. I'm just going to pause you right there to tell you all about the future of SaaS membership. Whether you want to grab one of over 90 templates covering everything from product marketing to customer success, read our exclusive members-only articles with SaaS gurus from the likes of Calendly, Klarna, and Link Squares. Sit back and watch over 1,300 hours of presentations from SaaS experts some of the world's most trusted brands, or catch up on insights gleaned from the future of SaaS and its 14 sister memberships and their private communities. Our membership plans have it all. On top of this, enjoy complete access to our virtual events and discounts to our in-person summits. The membership plan is designed to give aspiring and fast-growing startup leaders the knowledge required to grasp every element of the SaaS landscape, tapping into tried and tested business-wide strategies employed by some of the biggest and brightest companies, both startups and enterprises. 
To become a member, just head over to www.futureofsas.io and click the membership button at the top of your screen. Now, back to the episode. So I'm wondering then if we could go into like sort of from a marketing perspective in in terms of like, again, the the persona research, the market research, how does this differ when you've decided that your, your, your approach is going to be a vertical one as opposed to a horizontal one? Yeah, so, so I guess the first thing is you, you may need to keep two or three verticals open, right, because you are constraining the market. And look, for any startup, there's always the same journey, right, which is that you're making assumptions mm-hmm. that the pain that's um, in the market that isn't being wet, sorry, that isn't being met satisfactorily by the incumbents. So mm-hmm. you're still kind of going on that journey of whereby you've got assumptions that you need to validate. That mm-hmm. doesn't change. But what you are trying to do, I guess, in the early days is you know, you're looking for evidence of the pain, right? And the more that you see of that pain, the more then you can kind of validate your assumptions, Anthony. So for example, with WordPress, for example, you know, I can see from Reddit forums or, you know, different um, communities where developers congregate that there's often a lot of negative sentiment towards it as um Mm-hmm. You know, as a as a solution and similarly i can see that sort of, sort of recent industry reports where you know people were doing state of the nations on different content management systems again a lot of negative sentiments so you know that was kind of one piece of evidence that suggested that the incumbent isn't quite as strong as it once was and then on the flip side of course is your own personal experience right so you know the world that i've occupied for 15 years is b2b SaaS and you know, I was previously a freelance consultant, so I probably worked with, you know, 50 B2B SaaS companies. Many of them, well, all of them will have had their, their own website problems, right? So so you kind of have that banking as well. And yeah. then what you're trying to do is, is, I guess, craft a strategy that sort of fixes the broken bits that that would have been there with WordPress, but then creates an opportunity to kind of bring people to a, a world with a new modern technology, a new modern stack, that just makes their jobs easier, just just takes away the pain, takes away some of the hassle. And, and that's, I guess, the, the, guess the approach. Um, and then your research is very much looking at, you know, the personas that which are much more tightly defined. So mm-hmm. to give an example, you know, we've got three personas, right? It's not like we've got 10 or 20, we've got three. We've got kind of the marketing leader of SaaS or technology companies. We've got the technology leader, Mm-hmm. And then we've got agencies, Anthony. Agencies will always be involved in, in website redesigns and website rebuilds. So we can then concentrate our efforts in a much narrower um, industry context than if we were going horizontal. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it, it's really fascinating to me that, that the sort of, um, yeah, the the idea that it has to be so much more focused, you know. And I wonder if, like, as well, I asked you about the research and I guess what I was asking in a way was, does it have to be more intensive? But I suppose if like you're saying, if you do come from, if many people who are going with this kind of method are from um, more of a kind of specialized background, I guess a lot of it is kind of done almost, isn't it? Like you've, you you have that advantage of sort of, you're more likely, I guess, if you're building this kind of thing, if you're going with this kind of strategy to come from a specialist background, therefore your um, a lot of your your um, justification for doing this uh, is experiential. Well, that's it, right? And it helps yeah, yeah. shape, it helps shape the product set, it helps shapes the positioning, it helps shapes the, 
shape the, the basis for differentiation. And, and to use a kind of an example, yeah. you know, as a CEO and co-founder, I would not have done software for the restaurant industry because yes. I just don't I don't know restaurants. It's not, it's not, you know, I consume in restaurants, but I don't know the software that goes on in the kitchens. I don't know. I don't know that world. So, so you add a whole layer of risk, Anthony, if you decide to go into verticals that you're just not from. Yeah, right? so uh, you can say I'm, I'm real good at eating. That's that's about, that's about as qualified as I am. Yeah, and, and yeah, right. And this is it, right? So, so you're trying to de-risk. All startups are inherently risky, Anthony. Right? That that's the nature of the beast. So. You're just trying to de-risk it a little bit by making some sensible um, assumptions up front that can kind of help shape a, yeah. um, a vertical SaaS offering that, you, you know, is, is, is trying to de-risk some of those unknowns, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Um, so then breaking it down then, I suppose, in kind of practical terms, like, if you were going to say to somebody, if they, somebody decided, okay, we're building out this solution, this is our, um, we think this solution is going to be different from other solutions on the market that are off, we're offering a similar solution. Um, what are the practical steps you need to take then in terms of your go-to-market strategy? Yeah, it's a great question. So look, like part of it is identifying the pain points, right? So, so really understanding the pain with the incumbents. So, so I guess one thing to be aware of is our product is a switcher play. So by that, I mean, you know, we normally move people from one CMS to another, you know, it, it's sort of your first CMS will always be a more basic market entry level one. It could be Squarespace, it could be Wix, it could be WordPress. So, so we are, you know, a, a switcher play uh, and therefore we do need to be really clear on the pain of, of, um, you know, the, the existing incumbents, right? So therefore, hence I'm picking a fight with WordPress, right? I, I've been ranting about it today on the call, right? So, so that's kind of one piece of it. And then look, you can do market research that's sort of almost secondary market research. So you can, as I mentioned, go to Reddit, you can go to different forums, you can go to G2, you can go to Captera, so that you can really um, understand the pros and cons of the different substitutes that are in the marketplace that, that then helps you um, position yourself. Um, but then you do need to work on things like messaging and positioning. So again, there's a famous book by April Dunford called Obviously Awesome, which you know is a really good kind of Bible for those that are building startups in, in software companies in that it just reinforces the need to be clear how you're positioning yourself and making it easier for buyers to buy, I guess, so that they can understand how you're differentiated. Um, and then look, you got, you know, I believe in getting people into to, to talk to customers and to, to do the messaging. So getting copywriters in so that you are really focused on strong messaging on the homepage and then using a tool like Winter, um, you know, to, to test your messaging with those personas. So there are some of the things you can do. I, um, I spoke to, um, I actually brought some, some experienced copywriters on here recently to discuss messaging. And they said that they felt that customer testimonials were the best kind of copy that you could have, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's almost like the voice of customer, right? So, yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 completely. You're, you're, you're right. And it can be the voice of customers from competitors too, right? You kind of going back to my, yeah. if you're in B2B SaaS, you, you'll have G2 and Captera listings and you'll have reviews on there. And again, you, you know, and just, you know, it's funny, sometimes you would see, you know, you might think that you're in a, you know, procurement software, but you can see that everybody 
in the reviews talks about it being a great sourcing software solution. So the language is different from what customers use than what you think yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the other thing is that that's quite common these days, Anthony, is there's tools like Gong and Jiminy, which are kind of record um, audio from sales calls, which then again mean they can be played back and, and listened to afterwards, again, to get that voice to the customer and to understand how are your prospects describing the pain and then how are you able to kind of address the pain with your with your solution? So I, I want to go back to the messaging, actually. That's that's really interesting to me. Um, people like to say that there's, you know, there are fundamentals to kind of, I guess, conversion, copywriting, whatever you're calling it. But is it um, with vertical SaaS? Because I imagine with, with if you dig horizontal, you don't want to be too niche. Obviously, you don't want to use any specific kind of any jargon that's too specific yeah yeah rules change with vertical SaaS, like with in terms of how you're messaging it do you want to make people feel when they read it like they're a part of this exclusive club that you're sort of inviting them to like how does it how does the psychology behind it differ it's a great point right and actually again using our own kind of journey as an example anthony right so mm -hmm. You know, our logo on contento.io is, is a yin-yang sort of symbol because we've got two very distinct audiences. I mentioned three personas, but two very distinct audiences. We've got the marketing buyer persona and we've got the tech. And what's funny is, you know, I've always sat on the marketing side of the fence when it comes to buying content management systems over the years. And, you know, if I go to some of those, the space that we're in is called Headless CMS. And if I go to some of our competitor sites, I can't understand them because they're so tech heavy, just so developer centric, right? And, you know, it's web hooks and composable architecture and structured content, which, which again, from a marketing side of the fence is really confusing, right? So, you know, you're absolutely right. So, so what, what we've done to address it is on the homepage, you know, we've got distinct persona groups that you self-select so that if you, you know, you pick the marketing bucket, it takes you to a marketing page that's actually using marketing language, you pick the, the, the tech bucket, page goes black, right? We change the color of the page and it's going into real technical language and technical jargon. Um, and that sort of is a philosophy that we, we've embraced. And in fact, going back to positioning and differentiation, it's one of the areas that we're focused very heavily on because our thesis is that most of our main competitors in, in the category that we're in, which is called headless CMS, they're targeting developers and techies only but they're neglecting marketing people. So we, we think that's an opportunity. So we are, going back to your point around messaging, you know, we're trying to message very heavily for the marketing persona, not just the tech persona, which is what most of the others do. Yeah, we, we gosh, you know, I, I, I've done a lot of writing actually on developer marketing. Um, and it was one of the the kind of the bugbears, I guess, with marketing is, is just like, how the normal rules don't apply when when trying to appeal to a technical audience, how it's just so, you know, the, in terms of like how they're more savvy to normal kind of marketing speak, I suppose. And a lot, yeah. yeah, it's a completely different persona, so much so that, you know, when I look at our website, the marketing page will be probably schedule a demo yeah. and the tech page will be the primary call to action will be get started, right? So, so yeah, the yeah. tech, you know, the developer side, they want to play. They want to use it themselves. They, you know, they're not interested in the marketing blurb on the page. They're going to be looking at word of mouth referrals. They're going to be in Reddit forums. They're going to be, um, 
you know, almost, you know, not active on LinkedIn, for example, not receptive of cold emails, completely different approach needed, but they will look at third party reviews. Um, so you're right, it, it's a different playbook. And, and I know it's a topic that one of your sister and websites is dealing with actually. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Developer Marketing Alliance. Yeah, yeah. I actually started out with the Developer Marketing Alliance. That's why I did a little bit of writing for them. But yeah, oh, it, yeah so it's it was quite a... It was quite um, an adventure, actually, researching developer marketing. It was uh, a, tr- it's a tricky subject, you know, certainly. No, no, it is. And, and as I said, you can make, and this is going back to kind of knowing your audience, right, and, and sort of recognizing that there are different personas and that you kind of have to craft your strategy based on as much knowledge you have, uh, you know, from those personas. So, again, I'm more comfortable with the marketing persona, but then my co-founder and CTO is, is, is a developer, naturally, right? So they right. sort of know the forums and, and the language and the kind of areas to focus on from a developer point of view. Dream team. That seems like a perfect team to me. <laughs> so good. I mean, it is yin and yang again. One on the humanity side and one on the uh, techie side. Yeah. 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 And then you have um, the you have the user the difference between user and buyer personas as well. I mean, sometimes the I mean, often there's an overlap between the two, isn't there? But not always. Um, yeah, it's a great point, and ours is a slight nuance, right? Which again, mm-hmm. you know, you in Contento as an example to probably inform your your listeners, right? But you, you know, our website needs to be kind of often the CTO will build it. And then the marketing team have to actually manage and maintain it. And, you know, what we found is that a lot of the competitors that we see, they do a great job for the developers to kind of get it set up. But then once it gets handed across to marketing, you know, it can be difficult to manage and maintain. There can be, um, you know, lots and lots of problems, right? So, so again, that's something that we're kind of very acutely aware of and, and trying to kind of, you know, make it such that our interface is completely... Um, straightforward for the users and that they don't have to be constantly handing it back to tech and devs to, to fix things and to get pages built and so on. So you're right. There's often a big gap in terms of personas. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been really great so much so that I've got carried away. <laughs> I think. Um, um, so yeah, thanks so much. I think, I think the, the um, insight you've given on vertical SAS and is going to be really, really invaluable um i just wondered um as a kind of bonus question that we ask people on on future of sas just for a bit of fun um your current position now i know you've been a cmo and you uh, in yeah. the past you're a ceo yeah. now so you can choose either position um can you give us three things about either your current position or past positions that you wish you'd known before you'd gone into it it's a good question. So I'll talk to my current one. So, so I guess the first thing, Anthony, is everything takes a lot longer than you, you would you would hope, right? So yeah. I guess when you you know raise finance and you're building a plan for a brand new startup, you've got to make lots of assumptions. There's lots of unknowns, right? So I guess the one thing is, um, you know, I made some assumptions around much quicker delivery and, and timelines than, than have actually materialized. So so that's that's something that I wish I had known. Um, but also, look, it's a very exhilarating role. So again, um, I probably always knew that. But again, you're, you're tested in lots of different ways. And I was probably in a pattern with my previous role as a CMO that um, 
you know, you, you were fairly comfortable and familiar with the challenges that you were being, you know, dealt, right? Whereas with a CEO, you're getting balls from left field on a regular basis. Um, and third, look, there's a lot of goodwill, which again, I should have known. And, and like, there's a lot of supported, you know, supporters in the community and, and in the startup world that are just, you know, rooting for you, which again, is very, very pleasing. And again, is a slight difference to what I expected, but I guess I should have known in hindsight. So there are some <laughs> of the ones that spring to mind. That's really great. Thank you. Um, if people want to find out more, um, more insights from you um, or, or advice on this particular topic, um, how can they go about finding it? Yeah, so um, I've got, um, it's Alan Gleeson, so G-L-E-E-S-O-N. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Medium, so I write a lot on Medium. And then our website is contento.io. Um, so they're the kind of best spots to track me down. That's really, really great, Alan. Thank you so much for for being a guest today. It's been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Anthony. Thank you for joining us on this episode of SaaScast. Please join us next time for more top insights from the leading minds in SaaS.